So a lot of you know kind of my past of Christianity. I came to Christ when I was in high school. And um, it was at a time when learning was kind of the big thing. The more you learned, the more spiritual you were. The more you could know and understand and have your doctrine and theology uh, c- correct, the, the better off you were. And, there, and at the time, I mean, there's nothing wrong with that. And that was kind of, that kind of fit into my kind of achiever type strength anyway. I like that kind of stuff. And so for years and years and years, I learned and learned and learned and memorized and filled out uh, navigators books on every book in the Bible and all this kind of stuff. And it, it was fantastic. I learned a ton and it was great. And then we got married and my wife and I went to a church where you learn, 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 learn. We went to another church where you learn, 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 learn. And then we went to another church uh, where there, it was like you do, you, you actually do. Which was odd to me, but uh, the the fact of the matter was the people that were in the church were so broken. There was really kind of no time to learn. The way I kind of describe it is we had been going to med school for decades and finally we got our first time in the ER and we realized we were scared of the sight of blood. (laughs) Like, like that's what it it felt like. And so we'd lead these small groups and, and I had all this knowledge and all this stuff and stuff memorized. And the, the small group was just like, how do we just get through the day? Like, and I'm like, what? You know, cast all your anxieties upon him because he cares. You know, it's like I just did, I didn't I didn't have a reality way a way to really kind of um, if you want to use a big word to to be like incarnate to be like to have my faith like really physical. I just had all this head knowledge, and so we started this small group with couples, and man, those couples were jacked up, and uh, and 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 so the thing is, a lot of us are jacked up. But in that setting where you learn, 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 you don't, you're not supposed to show what's going on on the inside. And so we were at a church where they actually did that. And so we were leading a small group and our lives were just transforming so fast because we were watching God do amazing things in people's lives. And one day this guy comes up to me and he said, uh, he was new to the church. And uh, he comes up to me, he goes, hey, you got a small group, right? And I said, yeah, you're, you know, you're welcome to come join us. And he goes, what are you teaching on, brother? And I, like my, I have little antennas that go up. And it was like, ding, 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 ding. Like, run as fast as you can. When someone says, what are you preaching on or teaching on, brother? I just, that's when it's my, I just go, nothing. We don't even, it's the Quran that we teach. So it's like, go, bless somebody else, my friend. So uh, anyway, so he goes, what do you teach our brother? And so I, I, I was like, I was like, you know, uh, I told him what we were teaching on. He's just like, you know, I, I want to get into the word. I said, well, we, we do that, but I'm just telling you right now, we're really just working on our marriages. And he's like, I, he's like, no, man, I, I want to go to a place where we're going deep in the word. I said, well, that's just not this s- small group. And I was kind of, it's like, I wanted to show him how much I knew, you know, like, well, I can, you know, anyway, that was just my own insecurity. So, so he doesn't come to my small group. As a matter of fact, he just kind of like just, him and his wife would just come to church and leave, come to church and leave, come to church. Six months later, they were divorced. Now, that's not to say what he wanted wasn't real. It was just that the learning had taken the place of the living it out. 
that learning became, as it was for me, as it's been for me for decades uh, prior to, to when I first attended that church, that learning was really my relationship with God. The more I knew, the more spiritual I must have been because I know all this. Well, Jesus encountered people just like that every day. They were called the Pharisees, okay? Which, and if you've been reading the Bible for a while, it's not like a great thing to be, you know, to be labeled with. But that was me. And so what we're going to do is we're going to look at this place in Matthew chapter 22. And if you, if you are new to the Bible, Matthew's like the first book of the New Testament. So if you open up your Bible and you look at the table of comfort, contents, the table of converts, right? The table of contents, you got the Old Testament and the New Testament. It's the first book of the New Testament, Ma- Matthew. So you can go to that page and get to there. Now this is chapter 22 that we're going to be in. And what's happened is Jesus is at the end of his ministry. And these, this group, the Pharisees and some other groups, he's kind of ticked off. Because what he's done is kind of like that friend that, of mine that got divorce, he, he was kind of saying, look, we're, we're going to do things a little differently here. We're going to talk instead about the law, although that's important, we're going to talk about the kingdom. And so he began to do things about the kingdom and he began to heal people uh, on the kingdom. And when he taught people to pray, he said, I pray that uh, you say uh, to God, we pray that your kingdom would come, that your will would be done. And so what happened is the religious leaders of those times, the Pharisees, the people who were like me when I was kind of just starting out in my faith and growing, they were upset at this. Because maybe he wasn't going deep enough, or maybe he was stripping them over his power, or maybe he was confronting them like he did when he turned over the tables in the temple, right? And so they, what you see in Matthew 22 is a series of four different kind of confrontations, these encounters that happens with Jesus. And uh, the first, they come to him, and, and they're just going, look, by what authority are you doing this stuff? Now, what's weird to me is that they didn't deny that he was actually healing people. They didn't deny that he was actually feeding people. They didn't deny that he was having a big impact. They didn't deny that he was special in some way. They wanted to know what authority, by what authority are you doing that? And Jesus says, I'll tell you what I'll do. I'll answer your question after you answer my question. And he says, was John's baptism from God or was it from Satan, essentially? And they get, they huddle all together, you know, get kind of get their thing. And in this culture, this was a big deal. This kind of, uh, I come to you with something and then you come back. You, like you needed to win those things. Okay. And so they get together and they, they think to themselves, look, if we say it's from God, John, John the Baptist was all about Jesus. So that kind of validates his ministry. So we can't say that. But if we say he's from the devil, these people are going to freak out because they kind of saw him as a, as a, uh, as a prophet. So they come back with the worst thing you could say as a Pharisee and in that culture. We don't know. Pharisees do not like we don't know. It's we know and we know the right way, the only way, and this is it. I know because I've been one. Okay, and so you say, you know, we don't know. And he says, so then Jesus is like, nanny, nanny, nanny. I'm not going to tell you your thing either. And so they go away angry as as you would. Then the second time, 
they come, they send their disciples. They don't even show up. They send their disciples and this group called the Herodians, who was, um, it was a political group. It's like sending the Democrats or the Republicans or whatever. But basically what they believed is that politics, Herod was going to be the one that was going to solve everything. They kind of believed he was kind of like a messiah. And so they, the disciples come with the Herodians and they try to trap Jesus and they go, hey, is it, is it, do we have to pay taxes? But first they butter him up. They're like, we know you to be a great teacher. You don't care what anyone thinks about, you know, what, you, what anyone thinks. You, know, you, you, you don't care who's who. You don't, you, we know you're going to answer correctly. Do we have to pay taxes? And Jesus does this famous thing where he takes a coin and he says, whose inscription is this? And they say, Caesar's. And he says, well, then give to Caesar what is Caesar's and give to God what is God's. And you, you could just picture the Herodians just ready to write down. He said not to pay taxes. And they're like, wow, that was actually really good. And so they go, they go away. Then the Sadducees show up. You can't make this stuff up. It's just like one after another in Matthew 22. The Sadducees show up and they didn't believe in the resurrection. So they were going to trap Jesus with a resurrection problem. And, and what they said is, there was this woman, they make up this hypothetical situation, which, uh, yeah, and so they make up this hypothetical situation. There's a woman, and she's married to someone, and the husband dies. Well, back in that culture, when the, when the husband died, the, su- the next brother would marry her. Can you imagine if we did that today? Wouldn't you be interested in who your brother marries? I would. I'd be like, I, ain't, I don't, you either live long because I ain't going to live with her, right? I mean, it's, a, it's like, yeah, you'd be totally interested. Anyway, back then, maybe they weren't interested. I don't know. So, so the husband dies and then the brother marries and then that brother dies. And then uh, she, there's another brother, which is like, like, how many brothers can you have? And then, and it goes down for seven brothers. I know. And Jesus is like, if it were me, I'd be like, Man, she must be the worst cook in the world. Like, how do you kill seven brothers? But it's a hypothetical situation they make up. And so they say, um, okay, at the resurrection, essentially, if there is a resurrection, who's, who's the, who's the, uh, who's the uh, husband? And Jesus basically responds with, you guys are stupid. Like, he, it's just very confrontational. He's like, you don't know anything. First of all, at the resurrection, no one's given to marriage, nor is there even any marriage. I mean, think about Jesus. He's got this mind of the kingdom of God. He's, he's been with the heavenly father. I mean, it's the triune God. And he's like, marriage. And then he says, further, God is the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. He's the God of the living, not the dead. And so the Sadducees Go away. Well, then the Pharisees come back, and this is where we are right now. You can just see confrontation after confrontation. They come back to Jesus. And they say to him, they get an expert in the law. In in the NIV, which we're going to read, it just says a lawyer, which, you know, already you know there's trouble. They show up with a lawyer. Uh, But no, it's this expert in the law. Like, he knows everything. And so it's kind of like their heavy hitter. Like, like, I don't know if you've ever been in an argument with someone and you knew like, like, oh, we'll go get so-and-so. He's got all the answers to this. And you kind of like bring him in. This is what they were doing. And so here's, here's what happens. It says, but the Pharisees heard that he had silenced the Sadducees. They gathered themselves together. One of them, a lawyer, dun, 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 right? Asked him a question, testing him. Teacher. Which is the greatest commandment in the law? Like, what, what's the greatest thing? Now, 
You have to understand, at this particular time, they would have already had an answer they wanted, and they would have already had a bunch of answers that he could have answered so that they could argue with him. Remember, this is to test him. This is to publicly humiliate him. This is so that they have ammo so that later on they can say, he's not from God. You know, remember when, you know, Bob, the great, uh, you know, expert in the law went up and he, oh man, he tore Jesus up. Yeah, Jesus was like, what? I don't even know the Bible. That's what they're expecting. They want to discredit him. And it's a really big deal. And so they say, which is the greatest commandment? Now listen, Jesus can do anything he wants. He can do like he did before. Well, let me ask you a question first, you know. Now, which came first, the chicken? You know, who knows? What, you know, he could do that. He, he could do all sorts of stuff. He could take lightning and just like strike. I mean, that's what I would have done. I would have like broke one of their legs or zapped them or done something and been like, How, are we going to keep going around and around like this? You know, but, but he doesn't. He answers the question. And he answers the question with what we talked about last week. He says this. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. Now, when we went over it last week, we went actually into Deuteronomy 6, which says, with all your strength. Jesus just makes this change of mind. And when you read different times when he said this, you can almost just kind of take all four. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. He answers the question outright. Which when you've been reading the Gospels and reading about Jesus, that in and of itself should make you kind of take pause. Like, wow, Jesus like didn't mess around. He didn't ask another question. He didn't do anything. He said, this is the greatest commandment. We talked about this last week. And what we talked about is what would it look like if truly in our own lives, as we go to work tomorrow, as we go back home this afternoon, what would it look like to love God with all our heart? With all our soul and with all our strength is what we talked about last week. But this week we could just add with all our minds. And so we talked about that. And we talked about uh, a relationship with God and what that would look like. And what a healthy relationship looks like. And then we joked around about uh, going to counseling with God and having God share about the relationship and what he's frustrated about and what that would look like. It was fun. Okay. And then we took some time. We took about four minutes where we just were just quiet before God. Kind of going before him and just trying to listen. God, is there a part of my life? Is there a part of my heart that I'm holding back? from you? Is there a part of my soul that I, I, I'm afraid to, to, to display to you? Is there a part of my strength where I'm, I'm, I'm focusing after other gods, other things, and then if they don't work out, I come back. And so that's what we talked about. And so Jesus just comes right out and says it. He basically, he would say to us last week, you nailed it. Good job. Living spring last week. You got it right. Love the Lord, your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Okay. But then he does something really weird. And he continues on. He starts expounding about what he said. So he says, with all your soul, with all your mind. And then he says, this is the greatest and foremost commandment. And he continues. The second is like it. So let's go back to me when I first became a Christian and all this kind of stuff. Just a learner, okay? That my relationship with God was what I I learned. Jesus is saying, look, that's great. 
That's great. Learn. Uh, uh, be a part of spiritual things. Let it kind of infuse all of your life. Uh, change some of your um, uh, your actions. Ch- change some of your life based on this. I mean, when you look at the Pharisees, okay, if you were to look at them and look at their lifestyle and look at what they talked about, you would think they had this first part down. They dressed a certain way that showed what they believed and they had boxes on their head to show what they memorized and on their hands to show what they had memorized. And they they did all these things. They even came up with even more rules to show this is it. Yahweh is it. This is it. And so Jesus adds this one second part. It's just like that is basically what he's saying. He says, and you shall love your neighbor as yourself. Now, those two kind of tensions, if you will, will constantly be at the forefront of your week this week. Those two things of like, man, loving God And loving people are the things that kind of make the church of Jesus Christ unique. It's what makes us go from Christianity to disciple. I mean, Christianity says go to church, uh, read your Bible, pray, give whatever, you know, paint some houses or whatever, you know, kind of do do that kind of stuff, memorize scripture. And we're going to memorize a verse at the very end that's going to blow your guys' minds. And and I I promise every single one of you can memorize it. I promise. 97% of you can memorize it. Okay. Um, No. So, 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 you know, it's, it's all that kind of stuff. But then there's this other part. Loving your neighbor. And then he doesn't just stop. He adds this as clause to stop all the loopholes. (laughs) Love your neighbor as yourself. And then he makes this incredible statement that basically kind of wraps the whole thing up. He says, on these two commandments depend the whole law and the prophets. In other words, if you want to sum the entire Bible up, the entire Bible, if you want to sum all of Christianity up or a disciple or whatever, you want to sum it all up, this is what it all hangs on. As a matter of fact, if you come into your life and you're beginning to stumble or get stagnant or begin to, you know, kind of waver a little bit, it's because of one of those two. You're either not loving the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, or you're not loving your neighbor as yourself. Those are the two kind of bookends of what we believe. He says, on these two, the commandments depend the whole, uh, on these two commandments depend the whole law and the prophets. In other words, you love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, Deuteronomy, strength. And then out of what happens, the transforming that happens by that love, that example of love that your heavenly father displayed through sending his son, Jesus, out of that comes this love for neighbor. If you look at your bulletin uh, on the very front of that bulletin, it's logo and living spring. And it just says loving God, loving people. It's kind of our logo. That's what we strive to do with everything we can. 
We strive to love God with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength and love our neighbor as ourselves. Do we, are we successful? <laughs> Not always, okay? Uh, you know, and, and that's what we'll talk about that in a little bit. Uh, but that's it. All 613 commands that are in the Bible, all the do's, don'ts, all that kind of stuff, everything weighs on reading your Bible through these two things. As I read my Bible, is this teaching me to love the Lord my God with all my heart, soul, mind, and strength? What does this mean with my relationship with God? The other lens. Is this teaching me to love my neighbor as myself? And here's what Jesus is saying, essentially this. If you're not going to read it with that, with those two lenses, don't read it. But when, don't read the Bible. If you're not going to look and go, how is this going to radically transform my relationship with my Heavenly Father? And how is this going to teach me how to manifest that love for my Heavenly Father towards people? Don't read it. Uh, one of the things that happened to me when I was coming out of that Pharisee thing, first of all, the robe was super uncomfortable. Uh, no. Terrible joke. Okay. I'm going to leave a little blank space so that we can take that out of the podcast. Okay, there we go. All right. So so one of the things that that happened to me was I stopped reading my Bible. And and, and this is just for me, okay? I felt like God, after kind of exposing this part of my life, he was like, you know enough now. Now I want it to burn within you. And so for six months, I didn't read my Bible. And it was just like, okay, what do you know and how are you going to apply it? What do you know and how are you going to apply it? What do you know? It was transforming to me. And when I went back to the scriptures, it was more about, okay, what can I learn about my heavenly father? And what can I learn? Now, again, I'm making it, the story sound more spiritual than it is. And that I'm more awesome. I failed miserably in most of it, but that was the process. That was the journey that God had me on. And so he says, you, you kind of, you kind of, that everything uh, rests on that. Now, where does this come from and how did Jesus manifest this? That's really what it comes down to. And this was so important to Jesus that when he went to die before he was resurrected and left and left us with the Holy Spirit, he talked to his disciples on this very subject. At the night he was betrayed, he went up and they had communion together. Well, they had the Passover. And Jesus, it says in John that he realized that his time was coming and that, um, that he was going to see his heavenly father. And so he wrapped a towel around his waist and he began to wash the disciples' feet, began to display, this is what it's going to look like as you carry this message forward. Okay. And so this is it. This is like his last thing. Just like if you were talking to your kids before they go to college or whatever, this is Jesus' last words. It's a big deal to him. And so here's what he says. A new command I give you. Memorize as much scripture as you possibly can before you die. You know, tithe and give more than ever. No. He's like, if this is good, if the message of the good news of the gospel is going to go forward. If, if, if what I've modeled in my life is going to go forward. The number one thing that the church is going to have to do is love one another. A new command I give to you, love one another. And then he gives that obnoxious as clause again to take out all the loopholes. Well, how are we supposed to do that? As I have loved you. What did he just, what did he just do? He just washed their feet. 
He loved them unconditionally. He hung out with them. He was part of their lives. He was teaching them and just bringing the king, ushering the kingdom in. And they were all part of that. As I have loved you, love one another. By this, everyone will know you're my disciples. If you love one another. Now, think about this. This is awesome in the one sense. And it doesn't matter how much you know, you can still have a huge impact for the kingdom of God. As you've taken that love that you've experienced from God through Jesus and you began to just have it manifest itself in others, you are ushering in the kingdom. On the other hand, it can be extremely frustrating because anyone who's tried to love somebody unlovable, it's hard, right? I mean, we could all think of people in our minds where we're thinking, oh my goodness, Jesus didn't have this guy in his life. I guarantee it. He didn't have that, this, he didn't have my boss. But Jesus would fail. If he had my boss, he would fail. You know, it's that same thing. He says, you'll know my disciples if you love one another. Three times, love one another, love one another, love one another. Now, what's happened in the church, in my estimation, and what we're always in danger of happening is that we start focusing too much on learning and not enough on living. We focus too much on what, oh man, oh, we're going to do this and not enough on what. And listen, the world is dying for a church that will rise up, experiencing the love of God where it manifests itself to each other and to others. It's dying for that. As a matter of fact, in the 70s, I don't know if you remember, the 70s was just a horrible time for Christian music. I mean, if we're going to do away with hymns, can't we just do something, you know, come on guys. We've had all these years, right? A thousand years, you know. So, well, not quite a thousand, but anyway. So they had this thing. They'll know you're Christians by your love. Anyone, I don't know, not a show of hands, but if you remember that song. And, and even the song was like this dirge, this depressing. And they'll know we are Christians by our... You can just like kind of picture your head down, love by our love. Yeah, it's like, it's just depressing. Oh, I love... Like Eeyore, I love you. You know, like the whole, whole, whole like that whole thing was just like, oh, you know, you know, rain, and, you know, it's just like this whole thing, you know, I will know. Yeah, just terrible, just depressing. Because the church didn't get it. Now, the early church did. The early church got it. The early church was like, once Jesus left and that church began to explode, I mean, they were selling stuff and hanging out together and sharing with one another. It was this big thing. Now we read that and we're like, I ain't, I ain't selling my car for nobody. I, you know, I have to pay it off first. And then when I do that, I'll think I'm going to sell it and give it to you. But, and so we get out of that kind of another loophole again, because we're like, well, that's not practical. But what's the principle behind the early church? The principle behind the early church was this family, this idea that other people look and they go, wow, those people are awesome. Look, look how they take care of each other. Look, look what they do. They really love each other. Like it's really making an impact on how they do that. So here's the question we have for this week as we go into our week. How do I love now? 
And you can take that now and insert it into the situations that you're going to come up and experience this week. I had one uh, yesterday. I was talking to a gentleman on the phone. Don't worry, they don't go to church here. And the, car, the, the conversation started getting like really frustrating to me. Um, and, uh, and so I, I'm just like, you know what? You know, and, and, and some things were going through my mind. Anyway, so um, it was very, very frustrating. And, and then I'm like, I'm preaching on this tomorrow. So I better apply it, you know, because then I have a story. Uh, and so I'm like, how do I love now? You know? I'm like, click. No, I, I did. I was just like, how, how do I love now? And here's the thing about this question. The answer is really hard. Like it's, it, it, it might seem like, oh, the thing to do is tell him you love him or do you know what? But no, listen, to get the answer to this question, you've got to listen to the voice of God. You see how it begins to make its way around. You love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And then you take that and you say, oh, Lord, I love you. This is... And then you walk along and you meet somebody or you get into a situation and you go, hey, <laughs> this re- person's really annoying. How do I get... Okay, thank do, 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 do. The entire Bible, everything rests on how we manage that tension between loving the Lord our God with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength, and how that manifests itself to another. The church of Jesus Christ should be experts at it. Because for two reasons. One, we've experienced an unconditional love of God while we were in the midst of being the biggest jerk ever. The Bible says it this way. While you were your biggest jerk, Christ died for you. It says it differently. That while you were yet sinners, Christ died for you. Like in the midst, when you were the other guy on the phone going, well, one thing, Jesus, I don't like. He died for us. So we've experienced the greatest love, right? And then we've seen the greatest model of love, Jesus Christ. He says, as I love you, so you love another. The church should be experts. And I believe that's what the world's looking for. I believe it's looking for experts in that. So he goes on. He, he says, uh, so how, how do we love now? Now, what I'm going to do in the next just few minutes is I want to read some verses. Because what began to happen at the early church, it started out awesome. And, and John, who was there with Jesus, as a matter of fact, uh, that story of Jesus washing the feet of the disciples is only in John. And we, and John talks about he's the disciple Jesus loved. Like he's the one who, I guess, just feels like God loved him more. I don't know what his problem was, but that's how he describes himself. He's the disciple whom Jesus loved. Well, later on, John starts writing these letters. First John, second John, third John. And in first John, he just starts hammering Love each other, love each other, love each other, love each other. I mean, matter of fact, it gets so bad that you kind of start skimming through First John because you're like, oh, yeah, the lo-, you know, kind of like when you hear your dad telling you the same thing that he's always told you and you're just like, bar, 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 you know, I get it. That's what it feels like. Watch, watch what he does. He says, this is the message that you've heard from the beginning. We should love one another. Okay, and, and again, I'm not even scratching the surface. If you, if you kind of go to First John and you start reading this stuff, it just keeps going on and on and on. He says this, uh, and this is his command, to believe in the name of his son, Jesus Christ, and to love one another as he commanded us. 
How did he command us? Love one another as I have loved you. Love each other as you would love yourselves. Okay? Then in, in John, uh, 1 John chapter 4, verse 7, Dear friends, let us love one another, for love comes from God. Again, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. In uh, 4.16, and again, I've, I've taken out a lot of verses that just keep expounding on this. And so we know and rely on the love of God that uh, the love of God has for us. Love. If you find your source, you're going to find it in God. Whoever lives in God and God in them. He goes on. And he has given us this command. Anyone who loves God must also love their brother and sister. It's kind of like John. We got it. We get it. Okay. If you're a learner, you get it. If you're a doer, doesn't this just have to constantly be a reminder? How do I love now? How do I love in this situation? We're having a meeting, you know, you know, maybe you go back to work and your division or your department has a meeting, a staff meeting or whatever, and you get, you're in there and there's all those personalities and you're just sitting there going, oh, you're like working on your resume, on your iPhone, you know, trying to like, oh, yeah, you know, you know, a hard worker, you know, you know, really loves people. No, no, backspace, you know, it's like, it's like, you know, you're going through it. How do you love now? How do you love then? And so John just goes through all this. And you kind of get the sense that the church is starting to have the wheels fall off a little bit on this. And if you know church history and you follow church history, this has been the pattern of the church. It goes from learning to living, learning to living, learning to living, learning to living. It can be both. As a matter of fact, I think God wants it to be both. I think he wants you to keep pressing into him, keep reading the scriptures, keep memorizing, keep checking out your favorite blog that's on teaching, listen to more than just one pastor. I I believe he wants all that. But then at the end of the day, he wants that to manifest itself and love for a neighbor as just like love for yourself and for myself. Okay? Let me show you what um, Paul said. And then we'll memorize this one verse and then we'll be done. Um, and again, this, this particular theme of love your neighbor as yourself is all through the New Testament. Uh, James talks about it. The writer of Hebrews talks about it. Paul talks about it in First and Second Corinthians and Romans, in Ephesians and Philippians, Colossians. He goes all the way uh, uh, through. John, as we saw, wrote it. Here's what Paul says. Let no debt remain outstanding, right? The Bible talks a lot about fight. Don't, don't get into debt. Don't get in bondage to all that. Although if you want to get in debt, if there's a bondage you want to feel, a certain weight you want to feel, accept the continuing debt to love one another. For whoever loves others has fulfilled all the stuff you've learned. For whoever loves others fulfills the law. This is exactly what Jesus was saying. Paul wrote this several decades after Jesus was gone. He's talking to the church in Rome. And then he kind of expounds a little bit on it, just in case you don't get it. The commandments, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not murder, you shall not steal, you shall not covet. And whatever other command there may be are summed up in this one command. Love your neighbor as yourself. 
Listen, this sermon, or whatever you want to call it, isn't teaching you anything. You, you've heard this before. I've heard this before. What I think John wants us to do and what Paul wants us to do is just keep this at the forefront of our minds because if we don't, we're just going to gravitate back to just learning. He says, love your neighbor as yourself. And then he goes on, he says, love does no harm to a neighbor. Therefore, love is the fulfillment of the law. I promised I'd teach you guys a scripture verse. You can all like put on your Facebook, learn a verse in church today. What did you do? Uh-huh. You know, whatever. I don't know what that would be in Facebook language. Uh-huh. But anyway, you'll figure it out. Emoticon or whatever. So, so I told you you'd memorize a verse today. You're going to leave with a verse memorized. So the first thing, the hardest part is you got to memorize like where it's located, the address, which is 1 Corinthians sixteen fourteen. Okay. I don't know how you're going to remember that. 1 Corinthians sixteen fourteen. But even if you forget that. You can go, who cares where it is? They didn't even have those things when the Bible was written. So that's, you can use that. Here goes the verse. You ready? You thinking? Yeah, here we go. Do everything in love. I th- I, I, I'll bet it's 98% in a crowd like this. Not 97. I'll bet you guys got do everything in love. 1 Corinthians 16, 14. Ready? We're going to say it together. Do everything in love. Here we go. That's good. That's good. Now, my question this week. You're driving on the freeway. You're late to work. Traffic. Some there's a four-car pileup because somebody was texting on Facebook that they learned a verse in, in <laughs> church or whatever. Right? And there's all, all this kind of stuff. And, you, and you're there. And it's just tough. How do you love now? Do everything in love. What does it look like? See, the very first thing that comes to my mind when this happens is, well, I'm not going to be a doormat. Isn't that what we normally say? I'm not going to be a doormat. You can't expect me to just like give in all the time. I don't know if God's asking you to be a doormat. Maybe he is. Maybe for you, the best thing to love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength is for a time in your life to be a doormat. I have no idea. Maybe you think, oh, man, you get to the end of the the off-ramp and there's a guy there that needs money. And you think, man, what do I do to love now? How how do I love now? You think, well, I guess I got to give him money. Maybe, maybe not. See, this is the beauty of loving our neighbor as ourselves. We look at the need of the moment and we go back to our Heavenly Father and we say, what would you have me do? And we listen for His voice. 